Father, there's so many distractions. Um, it just feels like the pressure in the world is increasing. And if um, it just feels like if we're not sensing or seeing that pressure, Father, we're probably asleep. I pray that um, today you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, feet that want to run with obedience, Father. I pray that your word, not a presentation, but your word, Father, would bring life and peace to a frustrating world. Father, may there just be a contentment as we dive into your word, not only today, but each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Taking a liberty here. Uh, right before we get into Galatians 3, we just look at the world around us and we recognize the depravity and the decay that's taking place. And it frustrates us and we complain about it, right? And again, what Jewel shared several weeks ago is why don't we be, instead of cursing the dark, why don't we become light into the world? And then there's this idea of like parents within this generation and how parents are parenting and how parents are parenting or how millennials are parenting their kids or the generation above above, so Xers, how they're parenting their kids, and there's this frustration of where the generations are going. Well, at the end of the day, we understand that there's two powers at work. There's God at work, and then there's everything else, the enemy, the world, Satan. There's two powers at work, and often what ends up happening is it feels like the church is being the most silent. Now, when I say most silent, am I saying that you go hold up a billboard, or am I saying that you go... Uh, protest. I'm not saying any of those things. What I'm saying is, in just our common relationships with people, the church seems to be often silent with their representation of following Jesus Christ. See, the world isn't afraid to tell you what they did um, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? You go to work tomorrow, many people are going to talk about their beers, their booze, their women, their man candy, whatever, whatever they experienced, the world is not afraid to tell you what they did over the weekend. But then when the church experiences Monday morning, the church often hides, right? The, the, the church kind of balks at what they did. Well, I was at a worship night on Saturday. I was discipling students on sa Saturday. I went to church, and I praised the maker of the heavens and the earth. See, I'm not asking that we stand up and we just billboard Jesus wherever we are, but will we represent him wherever we are? And we are silent as a church right now in an ever-changing world. So as I think about Sunday morning, often what ends up, ends up happening is Sunday morning is the only time that we experience or we pursue the actual word or the presence of God throughout the week. And one of the things that I used to teach when I was a part of youth ministry is as parents would come to me with the problems with their kids, and you certainly want to help be the student advocate and the parents advocate and help send them in the direction of God, right? Right? But here's where I said, if your kid comes here every week, the whole year, 52 weeks, I only get to see them 100 plus hours, just a little over 100 hours a year. Your family gets to spend time with your kids more in one week than I get to the whole year, right? Likewise with the church. If, if the only church that you get or if the only responsibility of you pursuing Jesus is based upon the pastor or the leadership or you coming on Sunday morning, if you come here 52 times a year, that means you get 52 hours of Bible a year. See, transformation for the church happens when we pursue Christ daily. Transformation in the world happens when the church is no longer silent daily. 
See, it's one thing for us to come here and sing how great he is and how good he is, and then Monday morning do nothing, and Tuesday morning think about doing something, and Wednesday morning start feeling convicted, and then Thursday morning, because we feel convicted, we now feel like we're good for nothing and we haven't pursued Jesus. So then Friday comes around and we start thinking about God, and then Saturday comes around and we think a little bit more whether we're going to go or not or whether the grass has to be mowed. And then Sunday morning, we finally decide to turn on some K-love to get us in the mood for church. Now, look, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone other than myself, but the fact of the matter is if we want to see transformation in this world, the church can no longer hide. And I'm not asking for you to post on Facebook. Posting on Facebook is not changing the world. What's changing the world is our interactions and not hiding from who saved us. Amen? So if we want to see a different generation for our kids, for grandkids, for the future world, then you and I must start representing him everywhere we go and prioritizing him every day of the week. Amen? So look, how great would it be if you spent an hour with God every day? If you studied his word in depth every day, so seven times 50, right? So that would be, it would be 162 hours a year you could be in the presence of God rather than just 52. And I don't even know if that math's right. Y'all looking at me like it might be. You're just going with it. So you're going with it. No one's yelling at me. But look, watch this. Y'all know math, don't you? Like you can do basic math. That's really basic math. So what's happening is I started to see y'all doing math. You know, there's sometimes up here that I'm preaching stuff. And I don't see y'all even questioning it because you don't know it. Oh, I'm preaching. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even know what I'm saying and you just take it. Why are you challenging my math? Because you know math. Why do you not challenge the word? Because you don't know the word. So until we know the word, until we can challenge the word that's coming from the pulpit, and I'm not asking that you challenge the word because I'm, most, I'm trying and striving to preach truth. And someone told me the other day, they said, well, you must have a hard place. You must be in a hard position as a pastor to be preaching. And I said, no, because I didn't come up with it. Like, I didn't come up with it, so I just stick to his word. So I'm trying my best to interpret and understand and preach the word in its authenticity because it doesn't change and it hasn't changed and it won't change. But you guys have to know the word greater than you know anything else. Better than you know math, better than you know English, better than you know politics, better than you know sports, better than you know statistics, better than you know... Nursing, doctoring, whatever you do, landscaping, you better know, you better know um, more, you better have more scriptures memorized than you do birds or plants or trees or animals. But here's what's interesting, and this is how good God is. Some of us might change after this. Maybe the anointing of God is on this, or maybe I'm just on a high horse. I don't know. Maybe some of us will live different. Many of us might not. And the fact of the matter is, in spite of us not being in pursuit of the full heart of Jesus Christ, he still died for you and I. In spite of you and I not being perfect, rebellious within our nature, running from him in most, if not all, of our ways, he still died for you and I. And that's how good he is. He is a good, good father. Amen? All right. That's the first sermon. I just want to pray and sit there for a moment. Father, I know that, um, yeah, whatever, um, I just trying to follow your lead. Help us prioritize you this week. Help us fall in love with you this week. Father, help us um, desire your word more than the knowledge of anything else. 
May, may we be able to do uh, basic scripture um, challenging, just as we did basic math challenging, Father. May we represent you wherever we are. So I ask for just an increase of your presence in our life this week. Father, we do pray for the ever-changing world. We know you're not changing, but the world is. I pray that we wouldn't point the finger, but we would become a piece of the carriers of the kingdom that bring transformation in your light, in your word, in your love to this world. Help us plant seeds in water. Father, we trust you because you're perfect in all of your ways to bring growth. In Jesus' name, amen. Am I preaching to myself? Are you guys good with it? All right. Well, we are in Galatians chapter 3. Last week, Paul talked to the Galatian church about God's covenant with Abraham, which further proved that a life with God is all about grace and not works. So we see that in Galatians 3, verse 4. Just a little snippet. Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you have heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So because Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Not that Abraham was following all of God's rules. One of the points that we made last week is faith isn't offering God what you want. Faith is doing what God asks. You guys understand the difference of that, right? We're going to try that again. You guys understand the difference of that, right? All right. That's important. I mean, that's an everyday choice that we have to make. How many times have I offered God what I want because it's easy when he's wanted something far less? I've overcomplicated my walk with Christ because all he wanted was a penny when I was giving hundreds somewhere else because I felt that it was easier to do it my way. So now, this week, Paul brings up a covenant that God made with Moses. Now, if we don't pay careful attention, we could think that this covenant with Abraham and Moses would contradict one another. They don't. They actually complement one another. So Galatians 3, verse 10, if you have your Bibles. If not, it will be on the screen for you. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. Paul's not trying to say that the covenant with Moses wasn't important. That's not, not what's going on here. He is reaffirming that God saves his people by grace, through faith, even under the Old Testament law. What we see going on here is the Judaizers are still trying to make the law of Moses the main point of their debate. Remember, the Judaizers are um, frustrated. They're saying, hey, you need to earn it by works. You need to be circumcised. And Paul's like, why have, you, why have you fallen or why are you leaving this teaching? So the Judaizers are still trying to make their point that we must still follow the law perfectly. They were continually fighting that whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, the only way for you to be saved was through the law of Moses. Do you guys recognize or see anyone today that, are, that seem to be preaching law so much, like with, at 
Facebook or one of your friends or preachers that are preaching that the only way that you can earn your way to heaven is through works. Anyone ever seen any of those people? Any of you guys recognize any of those people? Paul is rebuking those people. But what Paul says here in Galatians 3 is that anyone who relies on works, they are under the curse of the law. James reminds us of this scenario as well. James 2, verse 10. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. So Paul says it. James says it. So essentially what we need to see is with, within keeping God's law, God's law is all or nothing. So if you keep all of the laws except one, what does that make you? A lawbreaker. That's how you're supposed to follow the law, perfectly. See, most of the time we see law-keeping on a scale that is compared to others. Do you guys ever see law-keeping as a scale? Well, I've gone to church 40 times this year, and they're only at church twice a year, so I'm keeping the law better than, I'm doing a better job serving God than they are. Anyone ever feel that way? Anyone ever had that religious spirit? Or I tithe this, uh, this much, and I don't think that they have ever tithed. Or I go to small group or community group, and they don't. See, what we do is because we're humans and we're messed up, when we think of law, we think of it on a scale, because if we think of it as pass and fail, then what we recognize is we all fail. And none of us ever want to think that we're failing, because how could we fail? The world revolves around me, so then we create the scale, right? See, essentially, when it comes to the reality of law-keeping, it is pass and fail. Have you completely obeyed God since birth? No. You haven't, and I haven't either. So what does that mean? When it comes to the law, I am a failure. What does it mean for you? When it comes to the law, you are what? A failure. We have all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. That's Paul's whole argument here, every bit of it. That's what he's trying to teach those in Galatia. There is one that is perfect, so striving to receive God's favor through the law is impossible. Now, what I am not saying is do not pursue purity, do not what I'm not saying is don't, sorry, what I am not saying is don't pursue purity. Like, we want to pursue purity. We want to pursue holiness. We want to pursue righteousness. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But the idea that I can earn my way to heaven based upon how good I become, I'm not good. And we are not good. And that's the argument that Paul is making. Faith in God's promise is the only way to become righteous. Verse 12. The law, is not, the law is not based on faith. On contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Essentially, what Paul is letting the church in Galatia know is that there are two options to make it to heaven. One is perfection. So, um, the New Testament, of course, reiterates this. The Old Testament talks about it as well, but there's two options. The first is perfection. Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, that's what Jesus is saying. You have to be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is anyone who does not affirm and obey the terms of these instructions. Cursed is anyone who does not affirm and obey the terms of these instructions. 
See, but perfection is impossible. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mark 10, 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So why is it if there's one that is good, if there's one that is perfect, that you and I continually strive to earn our way to heaven? Why is it that we continually preach? Why is it that the world understands that God is just an um, overbearing, law-promoting um, control freak, that God doesn't want us to have fun. As we've shared before, the laws are here to help us understand what a true life that we were created for will bring us peace, and life outside of those laws makes life more complicated. Right? So why does the world, what, what have we done as a church to make the world think that God is not perfect in all of his ways. Why does God think that the church is so legalistic and rude and they can't have fun? Because we too believe that we have to earn favor. We too have preached that if we don't follow God's laws perfectly, right? We have preached those messages to the world. The second way to make it to heaven is faith solely in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's getting at here. So you can be perfect or you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is helping us understand that pursuing righteousness by law and faith at this time is impossible. We can follow the law or we can trust our ability to be equal in holiness, purity, and power to God. So we can either put our faith in him, or we can trust that we are equal to him in holiness and purity and in power. Are any of us even close to God in any of those areas? No. Or we can acknowledge that we cannot meet God's standard and rely on his mercy and his grace through faith and, and blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? So some of you guys need to stop beating yourself up this week. Just stop where you're headed. Stop and repent and acknowledge and say, God, I am not good enough. I can't earn my way, and I can't even let go of this problem. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to pick it back up because you've already taken it from me, and I'm going to turn this direction. And then I'm going to try not to be like Lot's wife and look back. So since the law is not a solution to a problem of sin, Paul brings Jesus back up to those in Galatia. Verse 13 Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone, sorry, yeah, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. What an encouraging couple sentences. See, this right here that Paul is bringing up is the gospel. This right here is what gives you and I hope in spite of us falling short. This is what gets us back up in the morning when we know that we sinned the night before. This is what keeps us smiling when we are mean to someone at work, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This is the gospel that uh, he was preaching. See, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Redeemed in the original language is the word exgarazzo. Um, the dogs were not there when I studied this word, so there was no dog head turn, right? Exgarazzo. So, um, which means this, to redeem by payment of a price to recover from the power of another, to ransom, to buy off. So Christ has redeemed you and I. Christ has bought you and I. Christ has bought us back. He has recovered us. He has made a payment so that you and I are no longer under the curse of the law. Amen? So look, we've messed up this week, but we've been bought with a price. And I know when I think about the price that I was bought with, that challenges me to not want to do that same thing that I did last week. Amen? See, Jesus purchased us from the curse of the law by dying in our place on a tree. So because the penalty of the law is fully satisfied, we now can be saved by faith rather than works. Is that clear to you guys? The penalty of the law was fully paid. It was fully satisfied. So we don't have to be saved by the law anymore. We can fully be saved by faith rather than works. It's so clear through Paul's teachings that we make it to heaven by grace through faith. So why does the church in Galatia keep on pursuing works? In short, the Judaizers were teaching that since Moses' teaching was after the teaching of Abraham, that it meant that God now cared more about Moses' covenant than he did Abraham's covenant. Does that make sense? But... Um, there was a revelation that was given, given to Abraham that was paramount. See, faith was good enough for Abraham is what they're saying. Faith was good enough then. But now that the law is here, it suspended faith. That's what the Judaizers were teaching. Like, what God did with Abraham was important, but now he gave us something new. And what the new thing he is doing is law. This analysis was wrong and completely misunderstood. It completely misunderstood the purpose of giving the law. So Paul goes on to explain this. Verses 15 through 17. Brothers and sisters, let me, let me take an example from everyday life. So as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Paul continues his argument to say, look, the law doesn't set aside God's promise to Abraham. So just because something new has been introduced doesn't mean that that new is, has um, thrown away this other promise. He says, if becoming God's children now depends on works of the law, then God's promise is null and void. Doesn't that sound weird? God's promise is null and void. Thus making God a liar. That's Paul's argument right here. See, but God didn't back out of his promise with Abraham. How do we know this? Well, we know this, one, based upon Titus 1-2. 
in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God cannot lie. So if God makes a promise with Abraham, what do we understand? That promise to Abraham will come to pass. This is why the argument to the uh, Galatian church is faith alone and Christ alone as the way to heaven. Because God made a promise to Abraham, and he's going to follow through with it. So if that is the case, then why did God give us the law, right? We have to ask that question. If, if God's promise to Abraham was for you and I to have the opportunity to be saved, then why did God give the law? Like, didn't he give the law for us to earn our way to heaven? Well, Paul addresses that. Verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was, it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. So the answer to the question is important for the Galatian church, since the Judaizers were distorting the law. But this issue is also relevant to you and I today. Why do we have the law? Why did God give the law? So the question for us today is, how should a Christian relate to the law knowing that it was not given to us to bring sanctif or to not save us, right? The law was not given to save us, so how do you and I interact with it? So one reason why God provided the law was to reveal to his people their depravity. So within the law of Moses, there were many different laws, right? There were the moral laws, so Ten Commandments. There were ceremonial laws, how we are to worship. There were um, sacrifices that were to be made, uh, what to eat, what not to eat, what festivities to attend and not to attend, right? There were civil laws and disputes. All of these laws were in there. So when Paul addresses the law in Galatians 3, he's referring to the law of Moses, of course. So the law, what the law does is the law exposes the sinful nature in all of us. The law doesn't make us a sinner. The law reveals the sin. The law uncovers the heart to ourselves and to the world. Now, <laughs> I've heard a lot of people tell me that they learned how to swim by their parents throwing them into a river. Any of you guys ever learned to swim that way? Because I know every one of you used to, your parents used to make you walk 10 miles to feed your dog out in the backyard through a blizzard of four feet of snow with two buckets in your arms, right? We all know those stories. <laughs> so if you guys had to do that, we also know Nevertheless, what the law does is the law exposes our sin to us. It uncovers our heart and to the world. So why couldn't, why couldn't the covenant of the law replace the covenant given to Abraham? Because laws cannot make a person righteous. Laws do not make you righteous. Right? See, laws exist only to tell us when we are unrighteous. One author says it this way. Uh, we have a law saying that I cannot steal. So far, I haven't stolen from anyone. But can we say that this law has made me righteous? So has the law within itself made you righteous? No. Because righteousness is much more than merely whether I have not stolen. And the law itself does not possess the power to stop me from stealing, should I choose to do so. The author continues to say this, the law only exists to uh, convict me of sin when and if I should choose to steal. 
Therefore, a law's purpose doesn't even go into effect until after someone has already sinned. As such, the law only serves to create greater awareness of sin. I just sense that this is new to many of us today, the idea of law. So, this is why Paul says that the law was added because of the transgressions or sins. Paul says this. Man's sin forced the giving of God's law. See, actually what we have right now is we see a generation of people, we see a generation of kids who are living however they want because parents are afraid to teach them rules. Parents are afraid to show them how far they fall short. Parents are afraid to discipline their children. And sometimes disciplining children means you take their phone away, you don't let them have it at night. Because no matter what you teach them, what they can do is they can go to their phone right after that and get on social media, and 3.5 billion people tell them exactly opposite of what you just taught them. So my parents are irrelevant. My grandparents are irrelevant because they're one person and 3.5 billion people tell me something different. They tell me I get to identify as a cow or a pig or a woman. They tell me I get to pick my pronouns. No, in the beginning of time, God created not only the heavens and the earth, but he created man. And then out of man, he created woman. There is an attack on the very identity that God created you and I for, the very purpose. And if the enemy can screw up the very purpose within our identity, then we could never be set free to worship him. Amen? I didn't make it up. Check the word for that, right? We don't have parents who are willing to spend time with their kids. What they're willing to do is, I don't know why I'm on this today. Boy, someone better be listening in line. We don't have parents who are willing to actually spend time teaching kids their word. What they'd rather do is, I, parents say this selfishly, I need my emotional time, so go watch cartoons. Or go get on the iPad, because I need my time. I had a stressful day at work. So then kids are now parenting themselves, and actually it's not kids parenting themselves, it's pedo social media networks that are teaching their kids that they can be whatever they want to be. Nevertheless, if parents are not teaching their kids about what it means to be a lawbreaker, they're going to fall short. Thus, God provided the law for you and I to understand how far you and I fall short. The law exposes to me my need for a savior and within myself, I deserve hell. The law didn't make me bad. I was bad before the law. The law revealed to me that I was bad. The law convicts me of how far I fall short each day. But what I do after that is, do I, do I then go to church to try to earn it? Or do I tell God, God, I put faith and I put trust that no matter how good I try to become, that it's not good enough, that, that your son being beaten and abused and murdered and hair pulled out of him and him being beaten and flogged and his blood pouring out of him on a tree is the only way that I can make it to heaven. Thank you for that. So we understand that um, the Paul was added, the Paul, <laughs> the law was added because of the transgressions or uh, because of our transgressions or sin. Man's sin forced the giving of law. Paul teaches the same thing in the book of Romans, 19 through 20. Uh, Romans 3, 19 through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every 
mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in, in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscien conscious of our sin. So he's reiterating that you don't become righteous by the law. You become conscious of your depravity and your shortcomings and your failures. The main goal of the law was to make our depravity known to ourselves. It was given to help us see clearly how unrighteous we really are. The law came to point out our sin. And Paul emphasizes how the law was delivered because that is important. This matters because there is a fundamental difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Verse 19, the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. The law was delivered by God through angels and Moses to form the covenant. That's the way it happened. One author says this, when a covenant has a mediator, it tells us that both parties participate in keeping the agreement. Both parties have terms to fulfill and penalties if they fail to keep the agreement. In this case of a covenant, the penalty is death. If we don't follow the law, we will get death. This means that if in the covenant of the law of Moses, the only way a blessing would come is if man kept it perfectly. Pass and fail, not a scale. We think of the law as a scale, so then when, when we are deceived into thinking that the law is a scale and that we are better than someone else, or in comparison to the world, we're doing a better job, we miss the point of the law. Because then we say, I don't need, I don't need Jesus as much as them. But the fact of the matter is this, pass and fail. Did you pass or fail today? Have you passed or have you failed today? Not did you do it better than someone else. Pass and fail. The enemy has deceived the church by teaching and preaching and enabling them to think that it's a scale. You pass or you fail each day. That's it. And here's what I recognize. Every day I fail. There's not one day that I pass the law perfectly. So then what do I do with that? I go to Jesus and I say, I failed again. And I failed again. And I failed again. And I failed again. And I don't understand why you love me because when people fail this much in my life, I write them off. How could you love me? So then the next day if I wake up, I say, I'm tempted to fail today. But you haven't written me off. Why haven't you written me off? Why do you love me? Why do you care about me? And because of that, then I wrestle. I wrestle with the devil. Right? I used to be able to do a nice single leg. Not anymore. Single leg, and then I just get stuck down there praying. And some of you are like, at least you can get back up. I do a single leg, and I just stay down there sleeping. I soak in the presence of the Lord when I get down. So, both parties have terms to fulfill. This means if in the covenant of the law of Moses, the only way was to be perfect, not kept, kept perfectly, this means that we have broken the law. We have broken the deal. And because we've broken the deal, the result of this covenant is death. 
But the Abraham, or sorry, but the covenant with Abraham was a little bit different. See, there was a mediator, and God and Moses came together, right, to make this covenant. But the covenant with Abraham was different. A mediator wasn't involved. God made the promise himself. Abraham was put to sleep so that he could add or, not su or, or subtract. He couldn't add or subtract anything to the promise that God was making. So the covenant was not performance-based because Abraham was asleep when God made the promise. It's solely dependent on God being faithful and trustworthy to his promise. In the New King James Version, verse 19 reads this way. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. The word we must look at here is till, until, till. There was an implication in Galatians that is challenging for some of us to accept. The implication is the law is at work for only a time. Maybe better stated, the covenant with Moses was only till, until it wasn't anymore. That's really hard to hear today. I'm even, as I'm studying the past couple months, challenged by even making a statement like this from the pulpit. How do you tell someone that the, that the, that the power of the law is not at work anymore? That it was only here until something else. Because there's such a power of the law and works within my heart that you even want to be hesitant to share someone else to go live freely. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go live freely. There should always be this holy struggle with the sin in our life. If you are not struggling and fighting some of the sin in your life, you better pray that God hasn't handed you over to your sin yet. And God will hand you over to your sin for a season so that you're like, yeah, this isn't working for me. See, but we must understand till. The covenant with Moses was only until it wasn't anymore. The law, according to Paul, had an end date. See, the law sat beside the promised seed to come. But once the promised seed came, the law was no more. This means that when Jesus came, he brought the end of the law. You and I today are no longer graded on the law. A new covenant is at work, and the new covenant that is at work is Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Your lies... Your adultery, your fornication, your materialism, your pride, your laziness, your speeding, your white lies, your half obedience, your partial obedience, your patriotism over God's heart, your burnt offerings, they are all forgiven and all reconciled by the new law at work that is Christ Jesus. Amen? Now look, you don't just get to go live freely from the standpoint of, I can live however I want. No, because faith without works is dead. There's this, and as we learned last week, right, that true faith in Christ leads to radical obedience. So you don't just go live however you want and say, I, I can have the um, whatever he over I sticker on the back of my car and then go flip off people as I pass them. That's not the heart of what I think 
Jesus is intending, though the good news is, is I think Jesus has forgiven you for that. But don't go live. We're, we're still a slave. He bought us with a price. We are his now. So because he bought us, we live in submission to him. We look to him for our roles. We look to him for the guidance. I want to be adopted. I'm one of those dogs sitting at the Petco waiting for someone to come get me, right? God, adopt me. All of these things have been forgiven. They're all forgiven and reconciled by the new law at work, Christ Jesus. Amen? How exciting is that? We are forgiven. You are reconciled today. Don't beat yourself up anymore. Don't beat yourself up and don't pick up what you picked up yesterday. Leave it. Let it be. Move forward in a fully reconciled, fully loved and accepted relationship with Christ Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, um, we just, um, we thank you that we don't have to earn it today. We thank you that you're perfect in all of your ways. Father, we thank you that your spirit uh, will lead us and guide us and convict us when we try to take advantage. Father, the law will expose to us when we are taking advantage of your goodness or we feel like we're taking advantage of your goodness, Father. Your law will expose those things. I thank you for providing the law, but I thank you, Father, for providing Jesus. That the law is no longer at work, Father. I pray that this week we would be encouraged to read your word, that you would have stirred something up within us today, that we are hungry and thirsty, Father, for more of you. May you become our priority this week. Father, may we seek you and find you when we seek you with our whole heart. May you become our obsession, Father. I just pray for us to be obsessed with you. Not weird, but obsessed with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed. <laughs>